Hi there, this is Pastor Tim. I'm the minister at Eastside Church. We are a United Methodist congregation in East Atlanta Village. We seek to be creative, historic, and inclusive. And we are thrilled that you found our podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church community, you can visit us at www.eastsideatl.org. Well, again, friends, as it is every week, it is a joy and a privilege once again to be with you this morning in this manifestation of digital worship. And even though things are out of the ordinary in this season, I know that we collectively, um, as a staff of Eastside and hopefully as a body of Eastside spread across uh, the city and our world, I hope that you are all looking forward to and do as much as we do to gather in this way that is possible for us to be together in worship. And as I mentioned at the outset, um, we do have the comments on in the Facebook feed, so we would encourage you as you feel led to chime in, um, to offer an amen if, if you feel so led, or to respond to what's taking place in part of the liturgy. And also, if you would be so kind as to just let us know that you're here to, to make a comment or to check in through the comments uh, section, or you can just shoot one of us staff people an email letting us know that you're here this morning with us so that we have a sense of, of who all has gathered with us. Well, you may or may not be aware, but this morning brings us to the beginning of the yearly Christian observance of Holy Week. Um, Our season of Lent is coming to a culmination as we enter into the last week of Lent, and every year, Holy Week begins with Palm Sunday. And if you've been following us on social media, if you've been kind of kind of watching us from a distance, then you know that we have been trying our best to distribute the palm branches that we ordered a long, long time ago before all of this came into being, and to get those to you um, in various methods so that you can record your own videos and offer those to the communities of you waving your palm branches as adults, as children, and having a collective way of participating in that experience. So if you've been able to do that, if you've been able to pick up those palms and participate. Thank you. Well, this morning, we shift to the lectionary readings, taking kind of a break from the series that we've been on, Rooted and Grounded, as we pay attention to this first Sunday uh, that leads us into Holy Week. And the lectionary this year um, has us in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew's rendering of the account of, of Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem. So friends, without further introduction, um, as I read, I invite you to listen for the word of God from Matthew chapter 1, beginning at the beginning of the chapter. Matthew writes, When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, the Lord needs them. And he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you. Humble, mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. 
A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread those on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, who is this? The crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Friends, the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Good and gracious God, creator sustainer, redeemer. On this morning, as we have gathered in this digital way, in your name, God, seeking you and seeking to be together with you, I pray, God, that the words that I have prepared might be transformed so that they might be your word for your people in this time. God, may you speak through them and as necessary in spite of me. And God, I pray that as I preach, the collective thoughts of all of our hearts, the words of my mouth, that all of it would be right, good, pleasing, and acceptable in your sight. God, our rock, God, our redeemer, God, our savior, God, our hope. All of this we pray in the strong name of Jesus, the Messiah. Amen. Well, in our last worship song this morning, and then again in the text that we just read, the people are shouting, Hosanna. Jesus is entering into Jerusalem at the beginning of the Jewish celebration of the Passover, and the people are collectively shouting, Hosanna. Hosanna, this ancient call this ancient prayer, this ancient liturgical collective way for the people to ask for salvation. Save us. Save us. Hosanna. On a morning like this, coming to Palm Sunday, hearing these shouts of Hosanna, they, they for me at least... They hear a little differently. I receive them a little differently. Maybe I resonate with them a little more than I have potentially in prior years to this idea of a collective of us shouting out to whoever's listening, save us. But salvation's an interesting thing, and this text invites us to ask some questions about what we mean by salvation, because Though it is the case that Christians have now for centuries referred to the text that we just read as Jesus' triumphal entry, the irony that's so thick with this title is the very fact that the idea of triumphant, triumphal in this text is at best complicated. But triumphant, triumphal. These are words that in our Western American society we resonate with. We resonate with the idea of winning, of beating, of overcoming. 
We resonate in sports and in business and in our personal professional lives, winning, doing the thing that allows us to win the battle, ultimately winning the war. And in the midst of this pandemic, we've heard this language, right? People have said things like, we need to see this as a war on the coronavirus, the war on COVID-19. And people say, we need to adopt, we need to utilize this language of war, of doing battle, of humanity collectively going to war against this pandemic. But in this context, what I find really interesting about utilizing this metaphor of war in terms of the pandemic is the way that, that we sort of beat this virus, right? It has a lot less to do with sort of typical metaphors of war and of battle. In fact, it has a lot more to do with the sort of uncommon notions in our world today of obedience and obedient sacrifice. Because here's the thing about the pandemic. There's no nuclear warhead that we can drop that's going to end it. There's no nation that we can rise up against and go to battle with that's going to deal with this. There's no sword or gun or bomb. None of it's going to help. We need ventilators and masks. We need people to stay home. If you're thinking of battle in glorious romantic terms, putting on a face mask and staying at home doesn't necessarily quite make for the gripping Hollywood narrative of World War II. so-called triumph over this virus that's attacking humanity. It's not through applying force to another human or against another group of humans. Instead, winning this thing feels a lot more right now kind of like losing. Like obedient sacrifice. Like burying what we wanted to be doing right now and staying home and not doing it. Can feel a little bit like losing. Like sacrifice. Sitting tight at home, and sheltering. This is hard for many of us because we're just not used to the idea of triumph in any way being related to obedience and to sacrifice because we're used to winning by doing, by forcing, by fighting, by working hard. But right now, we need ventilators and masks. We don't need guns or bombs or weapons of violence. And this war of which we speak, it's a war about our collective submission to the directives of those who know a whole lot more about pandemics and public health than I or you probably do. You see, sometimes in a, in a season like this, what we really want is a Goliath to fight. We want something very tangible that we can go after and beat and throw everything at, but that's not the way this works, and it can be frustrating. And it makes us take a step back and rethink our paradigm of winning and of losing, of going to war, rethink our paradigm of triumph. And I think Jesus, in this text this morning, makes us as followers of the Christ rethink what we mean when we say salvation, what we mean when we say triumph. Jesus' entry into Jerusalem at the beginning of the Jewish festival of the Passover. It's precisely the redefining of what we mean by power in the life of the Christian. And the clues, they're, they're all over the text. 
Yes, Jesus is riding into Jerusalem at the beginning of Israel's most important and high holy week, the Passover. But the way he does it is critical. Matthew's so, just so clear in going out of his way to describe what Jesus is doing here and how weird it really is. Because Jesus is on a donkey. And he's on a donkey, and in Matthew's gospel, not only that, but he's also, the donkey has a colt with it, a child. So Jesus, instead of wielding a sword, is carrying the leash of the baby on the back of a donkey. Imagine that scene. When what are people used to? They're used to a triumphal entry being the military leader on the back of not a donkey, a horse. A leader with a sword and a, and, a, and a legion of soldiers and chariots and weaponry that would all be clearly visible and meant to be iconic to, to strike fear into the eyes and the hearts of whoever is observing. Or maybe not an ancient military leader, but a king on the other hand. A king entering a city in a royal procession. It would have had some of the, some of the wrappings of a, of a military entrance, but it probably would have also had more, um, pomp and circumstance and music and luxury and ways to show that whatever nation this king is derived from, it's wealthy and thriving and powerful. But it's just the case that no self-respecting king or powerful military leader would have entered into any major city in the way that the Christ does in this morning's reading, in his so-called triumphal entry. Matthew tells us he's on the back of a donkey holding the leash to the donkey's child. And that's just Jesus and the kind of animal he's riding. But what about the people who are walking alongside of him and shouting, Hosanna? Because it doesn't seem like a far reach to me to make the assumption that these were probably the cultural undesirables who who, who were outside of the temple gates. The kind of people that Jesus in the gospel spends the bulk of his time serving. Was it the case that as Jesus was coming from the Mount of Olives, the people could see him from a distance, people maybe he had done ministry with already in the past, and they are drawn to him, and they see that something's going on. This is the day, the first day of the Passover, and maybe it's a motley crew, right, of social outcasts, of, of tax collectors, of, of those deemed sinners or unworthy, those who felt more comfortable on the margins of the city gates than they did in the heart of Israel's religious epicenter. Maybe some were just people experiencing homelessness, and they felt a little more comfortable being in that context outside of the city gates than they did inside. And that wouldn't be crazy for that to be who it was, because if we remember the beginning of the story, back at Christmas, who heralds the, 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 the birth of the Christ? The, the angels have to go out into a field and find a group of shepherds and convince them to come in and announce the birth of Israel's king. The symbol of the donkey was of a rider who was entering not for battle or for triumph or to impose oneself on the city, but it was meant to be like flying a white flag of peace. Coming on a donkey was a way of stating to those that could see that you were coming in peace, that you were not coming to start a fight or a war. And Jesus is ushered in 
probably with a band of outcasts and ragamuffins on both sides of him. Maybe it should be called the not-so-triumphal entry. And some biblical scholars even make the case that it would have been at the exact same time At that moment when Jesus was entering into Jerusalem on the back of this donkey, that that on the west side of the city, coming into Jerusalem, would have been Pilate and his entourage, Pilate, the governor of that region. A lot of scholars believe that because the Passover was such a a, a highly political religious event where the the, the, the Israelites remember the the ancient Hebrew liberation from slavery in Egypt... This, this religious festival that had all of these political remembrances, oftentimes sort of these revolts and these uprisings would happen the week of Passover. So what became the custom of the Roman government was to send the government in, in a very visible way, to sit right in the middle of Jerusalem just to make sure everybody's clear about who's actually in charge. It's entirely possible that Jesus, as he is entering the east side of the city in humility on the back of a donkey in peace, Pilate, in his huge entourage of power and luxury, was coming in from the west side to make sure that the people knew who the occupying force was and that they should not try anything this year. Jesus' entrance, I believe, is... An outward sign that's in, that is, in, is consistent with the kind of ministry that he has been offering up until this point in the Gospels. The kind of ministry that he was bringing into the world. It wasn't going to be some sort of a, a traditional war with weapons of battle. That's not what Jesus' salvation would look like. It wouldn't be one side beating another side so that one side could stand victorious. It's not how shalom works. Peace. Jesus was seeking a different kind of transformation for our world and for humanity. I do. I find it fascinating to reflect on Palm Sunday this year in the middle of this pandemic that we are experiencing. Because part of what I find so compelling about Jesus is the simple fact that he knows that that his war, his fight, his conflict, it's not with human beings per se. He's not fighting humanity or even a subset within humanity. The Christ that we experience in the Gospels is for humanity, is for human beings, but he's not necessarily for all of our collective behavior. He's not for all the things that we do as individuals or as groups. The way that we hurt one another, the way that we hurt our planet the way that we turn in on ourselves. Jesus was seeking to bring in a whole new age of shalom, of peace to the human race, to transform our collective consciousness, or to even begin to enlighten us to the fact that we have a human race, a collective consciousness. We're not just individuals. We're a people. We're a worldwide tribe. Jesus is about peace, the ancient Hebrew word for peace being shalom. And shalom meaning so much more than simply the absence of conflict or war. Shalom meaning this active, whole, full, rich, 
dwelling of goodness kind of peace, of, of the world the way that God has always dreamt that it could be, of a new kind of, of, of garden of Eve coming into our world and coming into our planet. That is, that is shalom, and that is what Jesus and his ministry was bringing into our world. And Jesus knew that in order to see the world turn on its head, he could not just simply embrace the old way of doing power, the old way of getting things done. He had to turn everything upside down. And and the more I worked through this message this week, the more it occurred to me, maybe the proper title for this sermon would have been something like the upside down church, the inverted kingdom. Because isn't that so much of what Jesus' teaching in his ministry does? It inverts our notions about how we are called to be humans together collectively on this planet. A crucified church following our crucified Messiah. The phrase crucified Messiah in ancient Jewish consciousness would in and of itself been an oxymoron. It would have been a contradiction in terms because... The Messiah was to be the one who would come and win, who would conquer, who would overthrow the occupiers. A new Moses, a new David, a new warrior king liberator. Instead, on Palm Sunday, we remember our Messiah on a donkey with a group of vagabonds who just ripped some palms off whatever trees happened to be nearby. And they were shouting, save us. Are we an upside-down church? Are we an inverted kingdom? Are we a people who are teaching one another and learning how to do the best for the collective, not just for me? Are we an upside-down church that leads not through hierarchy or humanly constructed systems of authority, but through this kind of from-the-bottom-up selfless sense of giving and of love and of doing wherever we may find ourselves what is best in our context to be the best for all people everywhere. This year, something new, as I was studying Matthew's gospel um, account of the triumphal entry, I I realized something that I hadn't put together in the past, and it's that chapters 21, 22, and 23, we read the beginning of 21, but the whole thing is meant to be read as a literary unit. And the the way I realized this was that as I was reading, the bottom of 23 reads, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, this is Jesus speaking, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you are not willing. See, your house is left to you, desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus has just spent the last two chapters after his triumphal entry. He goes to the temple and he does prophetic acts there of turning over tables and chasing out those who were selling sacrifices. Not so much because... He had a particular issue with changing the currencies, but because he was challenging the entire system, saying that it was coming to an end and that something new was happening. 
And Jesus, he pushes up against the Pharisees and the scribes. He uses parables in chapters 21, 22, and 23 to challenge the status quo. He never wields a sword, never throws a punch, but he speaks truth. And because of that, he can feel by the end of chapter 23 that he is not being welcomed in Jerusalem. He is not being accepted. And he draws a contrast to those who welcomed him into the city at the top of 21. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna. To those who have not welcomed him now by the end of chapter 23, as he says, you will not see me again until you say, those who are rejecting him, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. I find this image that Jesus moves to, this metaphor of the hen and the chicks, to be beautiful and, and, and so fitting for the ministry that we, that we observe Jesus doing throughout the Gospels. This Jesus who humbly rides in in Jerusalem on the back of an animal that signifies peace. Now, two chapters later, speaking of his own ministry and his own love for humanity as a mother's love for her children, a hen for her chicks, seeking to bring them under her wings, to bring them safety in an unsafe situation, to bring salvation. Jesus is essentially saying, friends, I'm trying to help you, but you won't let me. How much of the time is God trying to get through to us? God is saying, I'm trying to help you, humanity, but you are not letting me. Palm Sunday, it's immediately connected to, the, to Jesus' work in challenging the reigning institutions of that day, to those who were rejecting his own attempts to bring about reform and to bring in something new. And the broader point here is that Jesus sees his own ministry as that of a mother hen to her chicks, a mother to her children. Because the Christ doesn't enter Jerusalem in retribution or in anger or in trying to destroy any one human being. But as a parent coming to a child, showing love and trying to bring about transformation in a broken situation. Friends, we believe that Christ is God's life and present made manifest in our world, which then reveals to us that in Christ we see that God's heart is not turned against humanity or any one human being, but that God, like a hen and her chicks, is pulling for us to pull together and to be the humanity that God dreams that we can be now more than ever. Amen? It's Palm Sunday, friends, and as Jesus entered Jerusalem, his ragtag band of ragamuffins, they were waving their palm branches, and they were shouting that Hebrew word, Hosanna, God save us. These were people who needed hope. These were people in desperate need of salvation. They knew they were in need of salvation, which is why they welcomed the Christ with these words, Blessed are you, the one who comes in the name of God. But not everyone blesses the Christ, as we see in the Gospels. A reality we're quickly going to remember on Good Friday, as those who were in power ultimately chose to put Christ on a cross, the one who was bringing shalom, the one who was bringing healing for the human condition, would ultimately be put to death by the very people he was trying to save. 
But the Christ event continues to happen, friends, happening in every one of your lives and in our collective humanity. Even now, God, Christ, is coming into the world and seeking to bring salvation. And I think on a morning like this, in a season like this, as our church is, is scattered, we are the diaspora in Atlanta and across this planet, I think it's really important for us to remember that we are still the church, even if we're not together in a building. And wherever you are right now, you are still the body and the blood of Christ. And right now, just like those people who are waving those palms for the Christ entering Jerusalem, humanity really needs some love today. We are called to love this world with everything we have, possibly now more than ever before. And this love's not going to be easy. It certainly was not easy for the Christ. Good Friday, Holy Saturday, they are painful reminders of the reality that the church, the crucified church, that this love that we're called to is going to hurt. But for me right now, one of the most profound images I in seeing of the gospel of the work of the Christ in the world today is in the lives of those who are on the front lines in healthcare. Whether they would use gospel language or Christian language or not, their behavior, their actions, their willingness to be on the front lines and to put their own lives on the line for the collective salvation of humanity right now, to me, that is gospel work, friends. That is embodying the message that Christ brought to the world. He came to bring healing and life. He came to heal humanity from the inside out by loving us as one of us, by coming to us as a brother, as a friend, as a son, as a rabbi, as a great physician. It is kind of sad that it takes a pandemic to get us humanity, sort of out of our myopic, narcissistic ways of thinking, of being, of realizing that we really are a collective on this planet, whether or not we've been noticing that for a minute or not, we are. We are all connected, and we are all in this thing together, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. And my prayer, my hope, is that on the other side of the immense amount of suffering that many are experiencing today, and the in the beautiful acts of courage and sacrifice that those who are on the front lines of our health care are offering today, that on the other side of this, maybe we will see ourselves more as a collective human family and less as individual nations or individual people, as warring tribes. Maybe we can realize that, 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 that all human beings are of value and are loved by God. Yes, we can critique behavior but every human being is valuable and loved. There's hurting humans all around us, my friends. People are scared, and people need hope. You may have neighbors in your neighborhood who need hope. And as we are scattered, as so many of us are having screen fatigue, our screens are actually, our social media may be a way that you can be the hands and the feet and the presence of the Christ to someone in your life just breathing and being and offering something positive in a world that feels really dark right now. Maybe you can offer an elderly neighbor to go pick them up some milk on your next grocery run. Maybe maybe you can help someone who is out of work with some of their basic needs right now. 
there's something that all of us can do in this time, whether it's a word of, of encouragement we can offer to somebody, whether it is a note, whether it is some way that we can present a different word. We are the church dispersed, and we are called to continue to enter the world, to, to come to humanity as Christ entered Jerusalem in peace, seeking to bring about peace, seeking to bring God's healing, God's shalom into the world. So I pray that this week, as we head into Holy Week, we would be fully aware and fully actively viscerally responsive to the fact that while we are scattered, we are still the church. We are still the presence of the Christ for this world and that we would take that call seriously in the way that we behave and the way that we love one another. It's all in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen. Well, we hope that you've enjoyed this week's message and we look forward to seeing you soon. If you listen from afar and you would like to support the work that we are doing in East Atlanta and on Atlanta's east side, you can visit our website, www.eastsideatl.org, and find our giving portal there.